couple of weeks ago, someone sent that to me, and I saw it and knew immediately I'd like to use it today because it speaks to a principle we want to discuss, and that is just how public should the announcement of the coming of Christ be. Uh, recently, I saw an editorial cartoon, and in the cartoon, there's your typical nativity scene with shepherds and with Joseph and Mary and the animals and the manger. And the caption below the cartoon has one of the shepherds saying to another shepherd, this had better be happening on private property or we're all in a bunch of trouble. (laughs) Because there's a lot of pressure today to keep the celebration of Christmas as a privatized, individualized matter. And the seculars would say, if you want to celebrate your Christmas, that's fine, but keep it to yourself and don't be pushing this thing on anyone else. And that'd be fine if the birth name of Jesus was God with me. But his name is God with us. You see, Christmas is communal. Because what God is doing in the birth of Christ is just too big to be appreciated or celebrated alone. And so we've looked at this name and we've talked about how it's God who has come. That God is not just above us, He is with us. But every word in the name matters. God is with us. You know, we talk a lot about We need to put Christ back into Christmas. But my concern this morning is that we need to put us back in Christmas. That Scripture never refers to the birth of Jesus in an individualized way. Christmas is a plurality reality. I went back this week and I just read again carefully the birth narratives of Jesus, looking to see if there's any statement in those stories that would indicate that the coming of Jesus is just about God and me. And I couldn't find a single one. Every reference to the consequence of the coming of Jesus was a plurality reality. Let me just show you. For example, the angel told Joseph in Matthew 121, she will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The angel announced to the shepherd in Luke 2, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Later they take the baby to the temple and the prophet Simeon holds him and prophesies over him and says, For my eyes have seen your salvation which you've prepared in the sight of all people. If you read the birth narratives, you know that everybody's breaking out into song. The angels do. Mary does. Zechariah does, who was the father of John the Baptist. Go back and read his song if you have a chance later in Luke chapter 1. Let me just read some of the phrases of his song to you. He has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us to rescue us, to enable us to serve him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation. Over and over, the scripture is clear. Jesus was coming to a people. It was God with us, not God with me. 
Now, John doesn't give the typical birth narrative. He does a completely different thing with the coming of Jesus. But notice again in John 1, 14, how he describes it. For the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that's why I like that video clip. Because it communicates an important principle that Christmas can't be hidden. That Christmas just can't be kept in a closet and privatized and individualized. To say that Christmas should be kept private is to display a misunderstanding of the very purpose of the birth of Christ. You can only appreciate and you can only celebrate Christmas in community. So let me give you just several implications of of this. The first one is that you can't grasp Christmas by yourself. Because when you read the birth narratives, you see that everyone in the story needed someone to help them grasp the significance of what's happening. Mary needed angel help. So did Joseph. So did the shepherds. The Magi received divine guidance from a divinely appointed star and from a divinely inspired scripture. Even after Jesus is born, the shepherds say things to Mary that she ponders in her heart. At the temple, Simeon and Anna say things that she treasures in her heart. You see, she's still letting others help her grasp the significance of the birth of this child. Because nobody gets to Christmas by themselves. See, the story makes it clear God is relentless in his passion to bring people to his son. God was seeking you a long time before you ever sought God. God's been working in your life. Maybe some of it was through events. It might have been the birth of a child or the death of a mate or the word from a doctor. And, and then it was the help of Scripture that God gave to reveal what He's up to. But somewhere in the journey, God used somebody else. For some of you, it was your parents. Or it was a pastor in college or a roommate in the army. Or a neighbor or a third grade Sunday school teacher. But you didn't get to Christmas by yourself. Somewhere along the way, God sent you a travel guide. This past fall, my wife Jamie and my sister-in-law Debbie went to an Asian country for over two weeks on a Let's Start Talking trip. And if you have not learned much about Let's Start Talking, let me encourage you to do that. It's where you go. It's a ministry our church sponsors. And you, you help people who want to learn English by reading with them right out of the Bible. And you start with Luke and the story of the birth of Jesus. And so Debbie and my wife are in a country in Asia where the Christian faith has been allowed to be persecuted and oppressed by the government. And they're reading with people, now imagine this, who've never heard these stories. They just want to get better at English so they can pass a test so that they can come to America and study in a university. And one of Jamie's readers announced that he was a Buddhist if he was anything. And he started off rather cold to these stories. But there's great power in the word. 
because God is relentless. About a week ago, she received from him this email. Dear Jamie, very glad to receive your reply. I'm happy to hear that you will get together with your family to celebrate the holiday. His Christmas is also very meaningful to me because I get closer to God and Jesus this year. And get to know that it is not only a simple holiday just to have fun or relax ourselves, but also to celebrate Jesus' birthday. Now, the better time to start my study in America is next August, if only getting the visa. I'm reading the John section now. I should get acquainted with all the content of Bible because, see, he's going now to a local missionary's house and meeting with Christians. And he says sometimes when they read, it's hard for him to follow. Reading over and over is the key. Thanks for reading with me here. The missionaries say you and Debbie are very nice and full of love and happiness. And I really agree with them. Tonight, I led the prayer. Now, I was nervous and my praying is not good. But I know God and Jesus can understand me and never mind this. Thank you for reading with me. And having me get closer to God and Jesus. Best wishes and God bless you. You see, nobody gets to Christmas by themselves. God used somebody. And so maybe this year, the way you could put us back into Christmas is to go and thank God for them and go thank them before God for helping you find Jesus. Tell you something else. You shouldn't see Christmas just about yourself. It's bigger than that. Yes, God's plan to send his son includes you, but it transcends you. See, God is inviting everybody to celebrate the birth of his son. Christmas is a plurality reality. Because Jesus did not come to save a person. He came to save a people. And so in the New Testament, when the cosmic scope of what Jesus came to do is described, it's always in plural language. Look at these verses with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Paul says, This is the gospel that I received and I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 3.13 says, so Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Remember, his name is not God with me. You see, other cultures of the world get this easier than ours does because in America, individualism is made a virtue. And, and that's why it's very popular in our country to present the gospel in a way completely foreign to the Bible and to most of Christianity in the world. In America, we say, you just need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not a bad phrase. It's not a biblical phrase. It's, but it's not a bad phrase. And I understand what they mean. That nobody can accept Christ for you. It needs to be your decision. 
But the problem with the phrase is that it helps promote this popular spirituality today that says, you know, I don't need a church. I don't need a small group. I don't do community. Me and God, we got our own little thing going on, and that's all I need. And that is so unbiblical. Because you won't find anywhere in your Bible that a believer is not also a belonger. Jesus was the most human, human who ever lived. He was exactly what God wants a human to be. And he chose community. He lived deliberately in community. If anybody could have said, I don't need other people. I've got my own thing with God. It was Jesus and he didn't live that way. And when he called people to follow him, he called them to live out the gospel the same way. They came up to him one day and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Listen to the very first word, our. When you pray, you remember you're talking to a God who's the God of more than just you. Our Father. When you ask for things, don't just think about yourself. Are you hungry? Don't pray, give me this day. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because what God is doing in Christ is too big. To keep to yourself. John McCain in his autobiography tells about the years that he was a prisoner of war in the Vietnam conflict. He stayed at the famous Hanoi Hilton. It was the practice in the evenings that they would tie the hands of the soldiers behind their backs in a rather uncomfortable way to make their sleep difficult. It was Christmas Eve. One of the soldiers came up to him that evening and did like this. And reached behind his back and untied those bonds so that he could rest comfortably that evening. The next morning before the shift changed, the guard came and tied them back like they were supposed to be. On Christmas Day, they were allowed 10 minutes to go outside and see the sun. And as he's outside that day for that time, that same guard walked up to him. Without a word, he took his foot and he drew a cross in the ground. And then he shook it up with his foot before anybody could see it. And in the most impossible place, the usness of Christmas prevailed. So maybe this year you could put some us back into Christmas. By finding some way that you could recommit to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because his name is not God with me. And that means one more thing. It means you must not keep Christmas to yourself. And nobody in the birth narratives could be accused of doing this. We love to sing Silent Night, but when you read the story, there really wasn't very much silent about it. Lots of people are talking. Did you notice that? Like the shepherds in Luke 2, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. See, Jesus is the one person. 
about whom every person needs to make a decision. You don't keep Christmas to yourself. We don't live like this story is a myth. We live Christmas all year long. We share that story through our declaration and through our demonstration. The best Christmas hymn in the Bible, I think, is in Philippians 2. Where Paul in that great song says, He didn't consider equality with God something to grasp, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a man and being found in appearance as man. He took on nature as a servant and humbled himself to death. Even death on a cross. It's an incredible song about what God was doing at the birth of Jesus. But I want you to know the song didn't just show up in Philippians chapter 2 out of anywhere. Paul quoted the song because of something going on in Philippi. Read the verses right in front of the song with me. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And then as an illustration, he quotes the song. What's he doing? You know, people today want to argue for Christmas. And so knuckleheads put banners on a bus. And and Christians get all uptight and want to have fights and argue for Christmas. Paul never argued for Christmas. He argued from Christmas. He said, it's happened. Jesus has come. And the way we show the world it's true is the way we treat each other. The best argument for Christmas is a community of people that do loving like nobody else on the earth can do it. You don't keep Christmas to yourself. We extend what the angels announce. Because Christmas calls us to love people. And to start with the people that are the closest to you. And I think that's why. Maybe my all-time favorite Christmas story is an old one. It came out of Guidepost magazine back in the early 1960s. It was about a nine-year-old boy named Wallace Perling. Now, Wallace was nine, but only in the second grade, which made him bigger than all the other second graders. He was slow of mind and body. Wallace probably had learning disabilities, but back then, very little was known about such. But the students liked Wallace, and and it was time for the annual school Christmas pageant. And yes, that long ago, you were allowed in public school to actually acknowledge that Jesus is the reason we have Christmas. And so they were having their annual pageant, and the teacher wanted to give every student a part. But what part to give Wallace? Because no one thought he could remember very many lines. But she thought, I'll give him the role of the innkeeper. Because he's only got to remember three lines, and because he's so much bigger than everyone else, his size will make the refusal of the innkeeper even more forceful. And so the night for the play came. And the little boy playing Joseph and the little girl 
playing Mary, came up to the door, and Wallace answered the door. And the little boy playing Joseph asked if they had room and lodging. He said, Sir, we seek lodging. And Wallace remembered his line and said, Well, seek it elsewhere. And the little boy playing Joseph said, But, Sir, we have walked a long way, and we are very tired. And Wallace said, There's no room in the inn. And then the little boy playing Joseph turned to the little girl playing Mary and said, But, sir, my wife is with child, and she is about to deliver. Surely you have some place in your inn for us. And at this point, it's almost like it dawned on Wallace what's happening. And there was this long, awkward pause that makes people in the audience nervous. And you could hear the teacher in the back as the prompter saying, No, be gone. No, be gone. And so finally Wallace came to and he said, No, be gone. And so the little couple turned around sadly and they started to walk away. And they say that you could see tears start to form in Wallace's eyes. And suddenly he called out, Joseph, Mary, wait, come back. You can have my room. And a few people thought the pageant had been ruined, but most people thought it was the best Christmas play they had ever seen. Because Christmas is not just for you, and Christmas is not just for me. Christmas is for us, and we need to put some us back in Christmas. And so let me just ask you a question. What Christmas party is God inviting you to? Maybe God is inviting you this Christmas to go and thank some people you need to thank for the place they've had in your life, in your spiritual journey to Jesus. Maybe God is inviting you this Christmas to the party of your local church and you recommit and you decide next year, I'm going to be more plugged in to the life of other Christians than I was last year. Maybe God is inviting you to the party where you go share Christmas with somebody. And you go make the greatest argument for the birth of Christ that we can make. You love harder than you've ever loved. Someone sent this to me. It's the Christmas version of 1 Corinthians 13. If I decorate my house perfectly with plaid bows, strands of twinkling lights and shining balls, but I do not show love to my family... I'm just another decorator. If I slave away in my kitchen baking dozens of Christmas cookies, preparing gourmet meals, and arranging a beautifully adorned table at mealtime, but have no time for my neighbor, I'm just another cook. If I work at the soup kitchen, Carol in the nursing home, give all that I have to charity, but I'm not kind to my coworker, it profits me nothing. If I trim the spruce with shimmering angels and crystal snowflakes, attend a myriad of holiday parties, and sing in the choir's cantata, but do not focus on Christ, I've missed the point. Because love stops the cooking to hug the child. It sets aside the shopping to kiss the spouse. Love is kind, though harried and tired. It doesn't envy another's home that has coordinated Christmas china and table linens. Love doesn't yell at the kids to get out of the way, but is thankful that they are there to be in the way. 
Love doesn't give only to those who were able to give in return, but rejoices in giving to those who can't. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, even crowded malls and rude drivers. Love never fails. Because video games will break and pearl necklaces will be lost and golf clubs will rust. But giving the gift of love will endure. So how are you going to put us into Christmas this year? We're going to do something a little different now. I'd like you all to stand. I'm going to ask the elders and those on the prayer team to come down here to the front, please. I'm going to ask Carl Grassel, who does Next Step, to be right down here. We're going to have a time. I'm going to release you for five to seven minutes of us time. Now, that might mean that you want to come down here and pray with somebody. You want to share something and, and have some us time with some leaders. It might mean that you want to be a part of this church body and come talk to Carl. A couple of ministers are going to be down front. You might want to come talk to somebody about giving your life to Christ and being baptized. Or... You might want to step out of the pew and go thank somebody for being an encourager in your life. You might want to tell somebody you're sorry or give somebody a hug. You might want to go pray with somebody that you know is not feeling very good today. Or you might just want to ask the Spirit of God to lead you to someone you don't even know yet. Because there might be a reason they need to talk to somebody. For the next five to seven minutes, church, you are permitted and you are encouraged to put some us into Christmas. God bless.